Hey, shalom, 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 shalom. Peace and blessings to all. Um, thank you for tuning in once again. You're now in the sounds of the voice of your brother, Tazadah, coming at you through the spirit of Yahweh Bashem, Yahweh Shah, through the spirit of the Most High Christ, giving all praises to the God of our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose proper name is Yahweh. So with that being said, I'll have to say this is not legal advice. I do not offer legal advice. If you need legal advice, if you want legal advice, seek yourself a competent counsel and then please be advised. What I'm about to give you is strictly for educational, informational and entertainment purposes only. It is not to be taken as a legal advice. It's not legal advice. Strictly for entertainment purposes only. So, you know, I would like to thank people from actually tuning in. I see people are actually starting to come in the room. I'll give folks a chance to get in. So <clears throat> while everyone's actually coming into the room, I would like to um, encourage you to get my um, up and coming book. It's actually not on shows yet. It will be on Amazon and on both of my websites. Um, and the book is actually entitled The <clears throat> Autonomous Warrior's Mentality your paramount manual for greatness and success. Once again, that's the autonomous warrior's mentality, your paramount manual for greatness and success. This particular book um, put a lot of what actually occurred in my life, some of the struggles that I went through and how I was actually capable and able to overcome struggle and controversy. And I'll say to any of you right now that may be actually undergoing controversy, undergoing struggle, undergoing um, any kind of difficult situation, do not be deterred because you may be experiencing something that's difficult. <clears throat> Remember, the process of evolution and growth always attains with pain. The process of evolution and growth always attain with pain. And so from the inception, our life's lesson of us being born into the world, the difficulty factor is attached. The struggle is attached. The pain is attached. But unfortunately, most people 99% of the people do not like to experience pain. When they experience some painful situation, they always try to take the path of the lesser resistance, which is an error. When a baby is born into the world, it's painful to the mother, it's painful to the baby. Why? Because it, it's painful in the womb of the mother. It's painful for the baby going through the birth canal. But once the baby is born, you have the most valuable thing in life, which is the gift of life. So we should see from the inception of us being born, the process of evolution and growth always attain with pain. So why is it that so many people want to back away from struggle, want to run away from pain? They don't like that feeling, the pain. So the things 
you are about to hear, brothers and sisters. And in this lecture, I entitled this lecture, Who is the Alphabet Group IRS? And why you shouldn't fear it. So the things that you are about to hear in this powerful um, lecture is the powerful inner thoughts, the powerful inner thinking within the head of Tadadak, God's man, with a warrior's mentality. Now, if you want to be great, I'm going to start by saying this. I don't care if you want to be a good husband, you want to be a good wife, you want to be successful on a job, if you want to be an entrepreneur and work for yourself, if you want to be successful as a secured party creditor, if you want to be a sovereign living on your own land, if you want to be great, if you want to be successful, if you want to truly serve the most high, you must suffer. You must suffer. There's no way around it. It's not easy to keep the Lord's statutes and commandments of the Most High, but it's easy to sin. It's easy to cheat. It's easy to commit adultery. It's easy to lie. It's easier to steal than to work and earn something. See, it's easier to do wrong. It's easier to serve Satan than it is the Most High. It's easy to sell Satan and sell your soul as so many celebrities do each day. But to serve Yahweh, to be successful, it's a lonely road. And because most people on that road give in to failure and they quit because they become accustomed to being average. They become accustomed to normality. They become accustomed to being mediocre, a mediocrity. They become accustomed to being a regular old Joe. And to me, normality is failure. To me, being average is failure. You're not gonna leave no legacy being average because you're just like everyone else. So if you do not want to be average, you must suffer. You must suffer. Now, everything I say, as you all know, is rooted in the word. So the scriptures read in the book of Second Peter's 3 verse 9. And by the way, listening to this, what I'm about to say to you today will alter your life for the better. So the scriptures read in Second Peter's 2, Second Peter's 3 verse 9, the word is not slack concerning his... The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willingly that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So you must suffer. It's rooted right here in the word. Once again, Ephesians 4 and 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another and love. So you're supposed to suffer. If you want to serve the most high, you have to suffer. The book of Galatians 5 and 2 says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, and long suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. But I'm hit you with something. Most people 
they root against you. They don't want to see you do great. The average person do not want to see you soar into greatness because it's not that they hate you. It's not that they don't want you to aspire to be great. It's that they don't want to be sitting where they are sitting when you reach your goals, when you accomplish your dreams. So they hate on you. So they have this debtor mentality. In your face, they're talking, oh yeah, 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 I think you should do this. I think you should join a gym. I think you should lose weight. I think you should study. I think you should become a secure party creditor. But in, in their heart, they're hoping that you fail because your, your success is a reflection back on their failure. So they want you to be right down there with them. You ever heard the, um, the, the um, aphorism, misery loves company? This is why they want you down with them. But to be great, you can't run away from the struggle. You can't back away from the difficult past, the path. You gotta burn the midnight oil, you gotta suffer. Yahushua, Yeshua, was the son of the Most High. How did the Most High treat him? Did he say, oh, this is my son. Get over here on this throne and rule the people. No. That boy caught hell from the inception of him being born into the world. Before he was born, they were seeking to take his life. When he was in the womb, they was plotting to kill all of the male children two years and under. So since he came out of the womb, he was running. He had to run from the land in which he was born. He had to flee into Egypt. So if you're suffering, that was Yeshua's life. That was Yahweh's life. John the Baptist, he was thrown in prison and eventually beheaded. Why? For teaching the word, he had to suffer. Paul was in prison. Jeremiah, etc., 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 etc. See, understanding, understand this. If you're teaching truth, if you're going to teach this truth, there's a cross for you. And I understand that me trying to teach this and articulate this to people, there's a cross for me. But I must teach because it is my mission. Some people say, Tyler, don't worry, you do this. Why do you care? It's because I love you. And this is what the Most High has called me to do. This is what the Most High gave to me. I'm not your typical Hebrew Israelite. I'm not your typical so-called black man. I'm not average. I'm far above, far above average. I'm not of this world. And if you knew who I was, if you knew who it was before you, then you will respect me more and you will listen to my words more. See, the image, don't be thrown off by the image that you see. The image is just a vessel, but the lecture and the lessons that is provided is given by the spirit of Yahweh, the spirit of God. So don't think that you will ever be great in this world, brothers and sisters, if you are not willing to endure struggle. There is a difficulty factor attached to anything that has great value. The process of evolution and growth always attain with pain. See, I am, and I'm going to tell, tell you something. Right now, there's a reason 
that you click on this channel and listen to this message at this time. It was divinely inspired by the Most High. It was divinely inspired by the Creator. It's not, it's not by chance that you're listening to me right now, especially those of you that just stumble on this channel and you're listening. It was the divine will of the Most High. So I'm talking to you because this message is intended to change your life. I am the Ezekiel, I am the Moses, I am the Jeremiah. I'm coming in their spirit to be precise. I am the messenger sent to minister and to those that's brokenhearted. I've been sent in the set apart spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, to inform you that there is greatness in you and you must push beyond the pain to discover that greatness. It is buried within the darkness of your doubt. You gotta stop doubting because as you think in your mind, so is you. I am the messenger of hope sent to tell you that the most high has not forgotten you. I'm the messenger sent to the woman that was abandoned by her children's father that don't know how she's gonna feed them, that don't know where they're gonna live. I am the messenger that's sent to those on a degenerate level. I'm the messenger sent to the woman that actually has been raped by her stepfather, by her father, by the preacher at the church, sent to tell you, don't give up sent to tell you that you're not worthless, that you're not useless. See, the Most High told me to tell you that you're not worthless, that you are worthwhile. I am the messenger sent to the mother out there that's popping pills, that's shooting heron up in her veins, that's sniffing coke. I'm the messenger sent to the father that's about to be doing 15 years in prison and won't see his children for 15 years. I'm the messenger to tell him not to hang himself in prison, not to give up. See, the Most High sent me to tell you the book of Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not towards thy own understanding. So in all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. I'm the messenger sent to the brother that just caught his wife committing adultery in their bed with his best friend in his home and that brother is ready to blow his brains out. But I'm the messenger sent to tell you that the most high said she was not worthy of you. He has better plans for you. Don't take your own life. He has a righteous wife in store for you. So put the hammer down. Yahweh told me to tell you, James 1 verse 2, consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So the question is, brother, sisters, will you persevere or will you give up? Will you back away from the struggle? Let perseverance finish it once so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. That's the word right there. I am the one. 
I am the messenger that the Most High has sent to tell you that everything that you've been through, that the, that the wind that was just diagnosed with breast cancer, that the father that was just diagnosed with diabetes and a heart condition, stop telling your friends and your family that you have cancer. Stop telling your friends that you have cancer and how big the cancer is and how bad the diabetes is and tell cancer and the diabetes how big and bad the most high is. It's all in your thinking, family. I'm the messenger sent to the brother that's on the brink of ending his own life because he feels less than a man because he cannot feed his family. Don't give up hope. Don't wallow in the valley of despair. Don't give up. Get up. And let God be your calling. For the word says in the book of Romans 8 and 28, and we know that all things work together for the good of them who love Yahweh, God, to them who are called according to his purpose. So I'm here to tell you that the most high is a God of forgiveness. You just got to believe. When I tell you to get your mind right, king, get your mind right, queen, it's because the words that you speak into existence, viva voce, means out of your mouth, is the exact emulation of the thoughts and beliefs that you have internalized. Your words mold your reality into existence. So the words that you speak become your reality. So I'm a millionaire. I'm rich. I speak redemption for the children of Yasha Allah. But what is your why? What is your why? What is your reason for being born? See, the most pathetic person in the world is one that has sight, but doesn't have any vision. What is your vision? What is your why? Mastering someone else outside of you, that's good. But to master yourself, that's true power because that requires discipline. You have greatness within you, brother. You have greatness within you, sister. But you must be disciplined to bring that out. You must be self-disciplined to bring out that greatness. Now, what is the alphabet group called the IRS? and why you shouldn't fear them. Who is the IRS? How did it come into existence? And you know, family, if you wanna become a secure party creditor, you could do it. If you wanna change your life, you could do it. Whatever you wanna be, you could do it. You just gotta believe. I don't think about failing if I think about anything, it's thinking about working it out. I don't think about my problems. I think about working it out. Because if you're a chronic complainer, you're always talking about your problems, you're always worried about your problems, you're always concerned about what others are saying, you're gonna think that into action. It is not by chance, family. It is not by accident that you happen to be listening to this message right now. 
the most high has aligned your path with mine because he knows that you need it to hear this message. There's greatness on the other side of pain and struggle. Go and get it. Nothing can be denied to one who won't be denied. Now, what is this IRS? Where, where did the IRS come from? Why do so many people fear it? Now, since right now, and I'm telling you, I'm, I'm functioning with about two and a half hours of sleep. Uh, I'm suffering from the fatigue of not getting enough sleep last night because I was burning the midnight oil up until the wee hours of the morning. So, and since many of you can't seem to get this family, um, I'm going to take the opportunity to provide you with some right knowledge concerning this um, alphabet group, the IRS. So again, this is not legal advice. I do not offer legal advice. If you need legal advice, seek yourself a competent counsel and please be advised. Everything I give is strictly for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. Now, I've found out that there are no implementing the regulations for 26 USC section 7621, which authorizes the president to establish revenue districts. Other words, revenue districts. Now, consequently, there are no revenue districts in the states of the union. Now, the first civil governor of Puerto Rico established five bureaus in Puerto Rico Department of Treasury on May the 1st, 1900. Now, the five bureaus were eventually to become the Bureau of Internal Revenue. Now, Puerto Rico, predecessor to the Internal Revenue Service. So the name change of the BIR, which it was actually first called the Bureau of Internal Revenue, to IRS was in 1953. Understand that. So in advance of implementing the Eternal Revenue Code of 1954, based on the Recognization Plan 26 of 1950 and the Reorganization Plan of 1952. Now, early Puerto Rico legislation, beginning with this um, Global National Executive Committee Acts on May the 1st, 1900, or published in the Senate documents for the period. So it's not just a matter of going through the publications to complete the merger history. I have actually located origins of the Bureau of Internal Revenue, Philippines, and the Philippines Special Fund in 1904 documents. The Philippines gained independence in 1946, leaving the BIR Puerto Rico as the only Bureau of Internal Revenue that was legislatively created and not by Congress. Not by Congress. So the first Puerto Rican or Puerto Rico legislature in 1901 legislatively intact the executive acts on May 1900. Now in 1934, Congress stipulated that the various 
special funds maintained by the Department of Treasury would be known as trust, would be known as trust, Philippine trust, Puerto Rican trust, trust 62. All of these, which I found, are still in the books in Title 31 of the United States Code. So the Federal Register and the Internal Revenue Manual actually acknowledges that Congress never created a Bureau of Internal Revenue. Now, someone else has since located the Supreme Court's decision where justice of the Supreme Court affirms that Congress never created a Bureau of Internal Revenue or Internal Revenue Service. Do you hear me? Do you understand? Congress never did it. And I challenge anyone to show me where they did. So consequently, the IRS has no lawful authority to enforce anything in the Union of Congress is charged with responsibility for establishing any governmental department of agency or agency that the Constitution itself does not establish. So in other words, if the Constitution did not establish any so-called governmental agency, then Congress would have to do it. But there's no record of Congress establishing the IRS. So what I'm saying to you is that what I've said in the last video that I've done for educational purposes only, that if the IRS sends me an offer, and there's always an offer, you got to look at everything as an offer, offer acceptance, offer acceptance, it's contract law, goes back to this, Brian Blum's book, got it right here, offer acceptance, um, you know, you, so much, I mean, I got so many pages highlighted in this book, um, you know, if you look at, um, I, I got the, um, I got the third edition here. If you look at um, page seven, he got some interesting stuff right there. I have it highlighted. I'm not gonna go into that, but it's all about offer acceptance, offer acceptance. So the Federal Register and the Internal Revenue Manual acknowledge that Congress never created a Bureau of Internal Revenue or the Internal Revenue Service. Now at the tail end, you're gonna figure out that the IRS really doesn't have the ability to force you to do anything unless it's it is backed by a federal subpoena or some federal statute for educational purposes only. Do you understand? Do you understand? Do you understand what I just said to you? So in the historical account by the commissioner of the Internal Revenue published in the Federal Register and the Internal Revenue Manual, the commission, the commissioner alleged that Congress clearly intended to create a Bureau of Internal Revenue because this is what was first called the BIR. Then they changed it to the IRS. So they intended to create it in 1862 legislation that established the office of the Commission of the Internal Revenue. But reading the 1862 legislation, it reveals that there was no need for a Bureau of Internal Revenue or Internal Revenue Service. Don't believe me? 
go and check it out for yourself. I just started the manual. Go and check it out for yourself. So Congress established that the offices of assessors and collectors with one of each to be appointed for each revenue district. So these offices were on the orders of the current U.S. attorney's appointment. So they were political um, positions. So these offices actually continued to exist until the implementation of the reorganization plan 26 in 1950. Go and check it out for yourself. Reorganization Plan 26 in 1950. Now, in order to comprehend, to understand, understand what has actually happened via the reorganization plan behind the current Internal Revenue Code, we need to review what happened with respect, with respect to prohibition. Well, what happened during prohibition? Well, let me take you back. Let's go into history. Because some of you, you think I only study law, but I study history as well. Because you got to know history, law, and the scripture. So in 1933, let's go back to Roosevelt. In 1933, the 21st Amendment repealed the 18th. However, the federal enforcement um, people continued to enforce the state laws relating to alcohol to the point of Constant, the, what is known as the Constantine decision. Go and check it out. Go and check out the Constantine decision in December 1935. So in the decision, the Supreme Court said that once the 18th Amendment was repealed, state and federal enforcement ceased to have concurrent jurisdictions for enforcement of alcohol-related laws as the 18th Amendment contained the grant of authority. So once it was repealed, concurrently, the jurisdiction was repealed. Do you understand? So until summer 1935, the feds, another alphabet group, Federal Bureau of Investigation, another alphabet group, like the IRS, had actually operated on the Alcohol Administration Act of 1926. So that was replaced by the Federal Alcohol Administration Act of 1935. Intact that summer, several months in advance of the Constantine decision. So in the wake of the Constantine decision, a director was actually appointed, but the Federal Alcohol Administration wasn't established to administer the Alcohol Administration Act via Reorganization Plan 3 of 1940. So administration of the Federal Alcohol Administration Act was actually transferred to the Bureau of Internal Revenue, predecessors of the Internal Revenue Service. Do you follow me? So the BIR, Puerto Rico, and or the BIR, Philippine, Philippines, had already encroach into the state of the union via the China Trade Act legislation. Go and check out the Ch the China Slave Act the China excuse me the China Trade Act legislation, which actually implemented maritime um, laws relating to trade and opium, because you know many of the people in China was opium heads. Relate into trade in opium, 
cocaine, citrix, and wines. So the first drug-related law was passed in 1914. Don't believe me? Go and check it out yourself. Then with the 1918 amendment, the feds began to enforce drug laws in the several states. Do you understand? Do you understand? So this timing was idea. Why was it idea, Tazadok? Because there was significant political mobilization responsible for the 18th Amendment and the alcohol prohibition. So the feds, the alphabet group, took advantage of the empty or, or, or the empathy, the empathy um, for purging any kind of intoxicating substance. So they said, anything that's intoxicating, we're taking control. We're, we're, we're gonna control this. This is what the Fed says. So in his letter supporting the 1940 Reorganization Act plan, Roosevelt, President Roosevelt, said that the BIR had been enforcing provisions of the Federal Alcohol Administration Act. Anyway, so the transfer of responsibility didn't affect significant change. Roosevelt said that. Now, fast forward to 1992, New York, United States decision. In the decision, the Supreme Court used the term corporate federalism. Corporate federalism. It's a manual that circulates online that I told you guys to read so you can understand what your real state was, so you can understand where your true state is, what your true country is. So this is 1992 now. So my response when I first was researching this was, what the heck? What in this hell is corporate federalism? So the next time I saw this phrase, it was published in a document that I saw online. And the term was actually in the title of an article in 1992 edition of the Book of the States. Now, in the meantime, I ran across the Federalism Executive Order that Lionel Wilson Reagan had put into place. Now, Reagan's order, which technically preserves the constitutional integrity, is the one that Bubba, Bill Clinton kept trying to overhaul, but he was getting a lot of um, considerable resistance. So the particular executive order is an executive policy statement. It does not meet standards of 3 USC section 301. Now I know some of you don't understand what I'm talking about because I'm giving these codes and a lot of you don't study these codes. But this is why I tell you to study to show yourself approved. But I'm giving you the codes so you can go and check them out for yourself so you see your brother's not making this up. So in the Federal Register Act, so it's simply the prevailing policy statement that shapes the relation between the state and the federal government. Because guess what? Your state essentially was your true country. These were nation states. Every state had its own constitution. Every state was its own country, its own nation. The nation and the state was one and the same. Do you understand? So now we have two 
essential identifying terms on the federal side. Federalism and on the state side, corporate federalism. Now, let's address this scheme of things. Let's address the deception of things through two constitutional questions. The first is Article 1, 8, Clause 5, and 6. Article 1, 10, Paragraph 1 of the Constitution. Now, no one thus has the Constitution been amended to affect prohibi <clears throat> prohibition against opium, against cocaine, and other such substances? Well, let's follow that. Let's follow those questions with two more questions. Do we have, and I'm sure you're going to know the answer to this one, do we have gold and silver coins in our national currency? Do we have national prohibition against drugs? So in light of the first two questions, we have and we can conclude that Congress has defaulted responsibility for providing a national currency of gold and silver coins. And our states of the union are accommodating the fraud without a constitutional amendment. And in light of the second question, we can conclude that the federal GOV is exercising a power which is not enumerated in the constitution and respected state governments are accommodating this power. Do you understand? Why? Because they become franchisees of the United States, which is Washington, D.C., which is why they want to silence people like Tazadak. When you put out this kind of information, you become dangerous. They want you taken out. So obviously, brothers and sisters, the Federal Reserve Act of 1913 was um, unconstitutional. At least it was if it applied to the union. But it might not be if it applied to the United States GOV itself and the territories in this insular possession of the United States. So likewise, the federal drug laws would be legitimate if they applied to the District of Columbia and insular possessions of the United States. But if not, are they lawful? According to the Supreme Law of the Land, the Constitution? See, brothers and sisters, it is here that Congress has primary or near absolute power. And we can actually lengthen the list. The Federal Alcohol Administration Act is legitimate in Puerto Rico, it's not legitimate in Oklahoma, it's not legitimate in New York, it's not legitimate in Philadelphia for educational purposes only. Do you understand? So likewise, the Social Security Act of 1935 is legitimate in Puerto Rico, it's legitimate in the Virgin Islands, etc., but it is not legitimate in California. 
It is not legitimate in Ohio. Do you understand? It's only legitimate because you consent and you give it validity for educational purposes only. So where the latter is concerned, we see proper geographical application and definition of state, United States and citizen at 26 CFR 31312E. So at the January 1937 General Conference of the Council of State Governments, delegates from a majority of our state legislators endorsed the Declaration of Intergovernmental Dependence. The Declaration, I'm going to say that again, and I'm going to say it slow. The Declaration of Intergovernmental Dependence. So this literally formalized what was already a working arrangement. So the states of the union formally went on the federal dole system and by setting up this infrastructure provided a forum of general agreement among the state governed bodies as to what the federal encroachment they would accommodate. Do you understand? The federal government initially didn't have any power over the states. Each state was its own country. Do you understand? So here are more relevant questions that one should ask. Does the executive branch have legislative authority? That's a question. Anyone knows in the room? Does the executive branch have legislative authority? Can the president unilaterally repeal law once it has been formally intact by Congress? That's a question. Now, via the reorganization plan three of 1940, Roosevelt reassigned duties of the Federal Alcohol Administration to BIR, thereby abandoning the agency. So Congress established then via registration plan 26 of 1950, Truman effectively terminated the office of the assessor and collector Congress established in 1862. So in other words, so that you can understand and make it plain, after the Supreme Court determined that the federal enforcement agencies actually had no authority to enforce state alcohol laws in the several states, administration of the Federal Alcohol Administration Act was moved under the authority of the Bureau of Internal Revenue. So, and Puerto Rico for administration in insular possession of the United States. So by law, BIR, Puerto Rico could not be exercised in the union. But since the state government was willing to accommodate the federal encroachment in return for whatever financial incentives the federal government provided, the fraud was and has generally been accommodated. Do you understand? Your state sold you up. Your, the state sold us up. Man. So the scheme worked well enough that in 1950, Truman followed the Roosevelt lead by authorizing BIR, i.e. Um, the IRS administration on federal income tax law. Do you understand? So, but this geographical application remains the same, limited 
to the District of Columbia and insular possessions of the United States. Don't believe me? Go and check it out on the books, man. So what I'm saying, why, why, why are you teaching me this, Tyler, Doc? What I'm saying to you, if you knew the law, you would know that federal income taxes are voluntary. So through their gross income source research, um, Tupper, um, Thornston Bell, Larkin Rose, and various others have documented that the American people in general are liable for federal income tax, but they're liable only on income from foreign sources and insular possessions of the United States. Now, you do you understand what I just said to you? So these conclusions reinforce and are consistent with my research and research by um, Bill Cooper before they assassinated him. So with intactment of the Internal Revenue Code in 1954 via Truman, executive orders, the offices of assessors and collectors of the Internal Revenue were terminated and the administration of the Internal Revenue Code by appearance was turned over to the Internal Revenue Service, an agency of Department of Treasury of Puerto Rico. Did you hear me? An agency of the Department of Puerto Rico. It's not even federal. So we need to address one more entity. I'm not going to be much longer. One more entity we need to address, and that's the United States of America. Now, what is the United States of America? What is it? Because when, when you hear it, when children, when, when you, you know, your sons and daughters are taught in school, they're taught that the United States of America is all 50 states. But what is it? So as it turns out, family, there are two entities called the United States of America. There's one United States that's talking about these union states. And then there's one where a group of slick, corrupt criminals got together they created a corporation and they decided to name that corporation the United States of America, just like Walmart, just like Wackenhut, just like Chase, JP Morgan, their corporations, just like Microsoft, it's a corporation, just like Apple, just like Dell. But these um, corporate um, liars were so crafty that they decided to call their corporation the United States of America. Do you understand? So there's two United States of America. Now the first and the original mentioned in the preamble in Article 2 of the Constitution of the United States Republic was formally created in the Article of Federation, of Confederation. But sometime after the Civil War, in the early 20th century, a second United States of America came into existence. The second is a particular alliance or compact of an insular possession of the United States. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce some evidence um, secured by a man named John M. Oatman, an Idaho Falls, an Idaho attorney. Now, in the case 
style um, Devisville Metal um, Products and Company versus Tebow Company, the Trust Inter Internal Revenue Services, and Steve Morgan Case CV93-417, 4117, so I can file in the district court of the 7th Judicial District of the State of Idaho, the Boonville County Magistrate Court, Ohman file a petition. Now, this Diverseville Medal was actually served a notice of levy for money owed to Tebow Trust. Now, in order to determine the rightful ownership, Ohman filed the interpleader action on the behalf of Diverseville Medal. So in his complaint, he stipulated facts. His fact, number four, as follows, and I quote, Defendant Internal Revenue Service, IRS, is an agency of the United States government. Now, in, Genu in, in her January 24th, 2000 response, U.S. back then, U.S. Attorney um, Betty Richardson made the following correction to the Oakman um, avertment, and I quote, denies that the Internal Revenue Service is an agency of the United States, but admits that the United States of America would be a proper party to the action. Now, did you catch that? Did you catch what I just said? So this is something that I've actually tried to impress on people since I've been doing this stuff, man. But few actually grasp the implication. So this is why I'm asking you, did you catch it? So the Constitution of the United States creates and vests authority in a governmental entity known as the United States or the United States government. So while it is for the United States of America, the Constitution vests absolutely no authority in the United States of America. Anytime the United States prosecutes a case, whether civil, criminal, or otherwise, it must be in the name and by the authority of the United States, not the United States of America. So the only place, the only place the United States of America has any standing is in territorial courts in insular possessions of the United States. So then the styling must be the United States of America. Do you understand? President of the United States, see Title 48 of the United States Code for particulars relating to Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. Go and check it out for yourself. So if we read um, notes following the current 18 USC section 1001, we find that the United States of America is currently defined as an agency of the United States. So they can't be the same, right? If the United States of America is currently defined as an agency of the United States, they can't be the same. Go and check it out for yourself. 18 USC section 1001. I dare you to disprove what I'm saying is wrong. The United States of America is an, and I, because, because there's a lot of so-called sovereign gurus out here. 
is going to try and dispute this. You know what I'm saying? Like they come to the damn um, talk shoot channel um, acting like damn buffoons and so on and so forth because they don't want the melanated man putting out the truth. But the most high gave this mission to me. And so what you're going to find out that the, all of you that thought that, oh, well, yeah, the United States of America is the wrong, the, the real country. Wrong, wrong, wrong. The United States of America is an agency of the United States. So these sovereigns been putting out a lot of damn bad information, misleading you. And this is why a lot of your stuff is not working, man, because the United States of America is an agency of the United States. So in the context of Downers versus Bidwell decision, we find that these insular possessions, which are not incorporated in the constitutional scheme, are foreign to the United States, i.e. to the Union of States. So therefore, this political alliance or compact known as the United States of America, which first appeared in 1918 legislation, is a government foreign to the United States and the several states, even though the members' insular possession belongs to the United States. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Do you understand? So the Richardson correction verifies that the Internal Revenue Service is not an agency of the United States government, but the United States of America. Do you understand? Clearly a distinct and different entity. Do you understand? Do you understand? So it would be difficult to be any clearer on this subject. So if you're not getting it, if you're not getting what I'm saying to you, it's not meant for you. If you can't understand what I'm saying to you, it's not meant for you to receive it. Do you understand? So the Richardson correction tells us that the people such as US attorneys, attorneys, in the Department of Justice and federal judges are fully aware of the difference. So they know. So when you go into these um, colorful venues, they know that there's a difference between the United States and the United States of America. But if you don't know, you get bamboozled, you get hoodwinked. Do you understand? So Michael, Buffkin, a Dundee, Illinois attorney, understood a delightful project. On December the 18th, 1998, he sent a Freedom of Information Act request to the Department of Treasury asking for documentation of authority for the Department of Justice to defend the Internal Revenue Service personnel in a civil or a criminal case. Now, in August the 2nd, 1999 response, Leslie Howard in the National IRS office responded with the following, and I quote, a search was performed with the Office of Tax Crimes, Criminal Investigation, and with the assistant of Chief Counsel Disclosure Legislation, and we have no documents responsible for your request. However, you may forward 
a copy of your request to the U.S. Attorney General's office within the Department of Justice. Now, Bufkin did just that. So in September, in his September response, September the 21st, 1999, FOI to the Attorney General, Thomas J. McIntyre, at that time, Thomas J. McIntyre, informed Bufkin that, and I quote, we have conducted a search on the appropriate um, indice to these criminal divisions records and did not locate any records responsible, responsive to your request, end of quote. So we don't know who lawfully or we don't know who lawful authority to defend the IRS personnel, but the Department of Justice and the U.S. Attorney don't. So possibly the foreign United States of America, that is the principle of entrance and the benefit from the IRS, it appears to be them. They appear to be the foreign agents. So as chance would have it, one of the people that I knew, uh, a brother that mysteriously came up missing now, um, received certification of documents on an IRS Austin region um, statutory that is headed the United States of America. So the Department of Treasury, the Internal Revenue Service, the certification letters are dated November the 16th. 1999. So, folks, what we are dealing with is the invasion of a foreign government accommodated by your respective state governments. However, thanks to the diligence of people that's actually been approaching the IRS's tyranny from several directions, we have almost been able to expose that the IRS is not backed by the real United States. The IRS is backed by the United States of America, which is two totally different animals. So there's two United States. There is two. So you need to know which one you're dealing with. You need to know. This is why for educational purposes only, when you go into these colorful venues, you always hold them to the Constitution. If you're going into one of these colorful venues and the black road tells you don't mention the court, the Constitution, my court again, or I'll find you in contempt, he's telling you that is a colorful court. They're, and they probably don't have oaths of office. So why are you there? Why not move it? Why not move it to an Article Three court? Because then it's going to be controlled by Article Three of the Constitution. But stop going into these courts arguing, oh, they ignored my paperwork and so on and so forth. You show up, you give them validity. You should show up, challenge status. They don't have status. Why are you there? If they don't have status, how they're enforcing laws in the land. 
if they have status, challenge jurisdiction. Until jurisdiction is proven, the court cannot lawfully proceed. Hold them to the Constitution. The Constitution was actually created to control these people and keep these people in check. But these, this, this that you call government has actually become a 3,000 pound gorilla that you are afraid of. You're afraid of it. You fear the government. You are totally daunted. You're totally daunted. You're afraid to go into the courts. You're afraid to appear specially. And when you go, you don't know how to present yourself. So you hire a representative. You hire an attorney. You don't go in as a next friend. Many of you don't know what a next friend is. Look the term up, next friend. If you don't know how to present yourself in court, instead of getting an attorney for educational purposes only, why not get a next friend? Look the term up in law. Get a next friend. Have the next friend speak to you, speak for you since you don't know how to speak. Or have someone show up and it's amicus curai. Well, amicus curai ties it out. What are you talking about? I'm here's a friend of the court. Who are you? Here's amicus curai. The defendant is about to um, injure themselves. So I'm here as amicus curai as a friend of the court. The black robe may respond, the court doesn't need a friend. When the court um, wants a friend, I will select a friend for the court. How are you going to respond then? Uh, how are you going to respond? You get into these jams. So you got to go through role play. When we have these little um, um, live sessions like this, you should be communicating with other people, getting their numbers. You should be role playing. Because the more that you role play this stuff, the better you will become after at it. You walk into these colorful venues, the black robe starts ra raising his voice at you, you just totally lose it and you go into bitch mode and you punk out. Don't, don't, don't go out like that. Stand your ground. You don't know how to speak? Do some role play. Watch more of my videos. I tell people to go back and watch my videos from the beginning. You're gonna learn so much. You're gonna see how I actually grew through the years, I became wiser and wiser from studying, research, study, research. But again and again, I tell you, it's contract law. You got to know contract law. There's no other way around. You got to understand contracts. You got to understand contracts work, how, how they work. And some of you, you think they need your signature for a contract. Uh-uh. They don't need that. They don't need that. But if you, you, you want to be a wise guy like this guy, uh, to come on my um, radio show and act like a damn buffoon calling himself um, Mikey or something like that. And he's talking about what works for him and how a certain thing worked for him in court. Well, why is it that? If it works for you, why are you coming over here, um, you know, on our soapbox? Get your own soapbox because what works for you, it's not going to work for a lot of us because there's a secret handshake going on between a lot, a lot of Euro Gentiles. So you get away with a lot of stuff that many melanated people may not get away with simply because you're a jewel Gentile, Edomite. So they looking out for their own with that secret handshake. Now, I'm not being racial, I'm being real. And if you can't handle realness, see ya, and I wouldn't wanna be ya. But I'm just keeping it a buck. So I'm telling you family, you gotta study. You know, this book, um, Brian Blum, like, you know, some real um, um, information in here. By the way, this book is actually used in law school. So I'm not just telling you to go and get some book because I thought it was cool. It was cool. Oh, yeah, um, I'm going to get this book. It says in here, I can't remember which page it was. I was reading it the other day. It says that a signature is not even required. 
a signature is not even required. It's, the only thing that's required, if you mark an X or something on a paper, that's good enough. That's good enough. You just, you, sign, you don't really have to sign your name. You can just put an X there, put a damn check there if you want it, a check mark. They're, they're cool with that. They're going to say that represents your signature, just like in court. When you go in court, you, you know, you, oh, he, he didn't have my right name on, on the report. Well, if you say that's you, they don't care. They just want a name. Doesn't matter whether it's you or not. Understand that. Well, they had the wrong name on it, Tyler Doc. They misspelled my name. They don't care. Did you consent to it being you? They just want a name. Give me any name. They just want a name. They, they just want someone to charge. <clears throat> so th this book, Brian Blum's book, I would encourage you to get it. I would encourage you to get my books. I encourage you to get my book. And I encourage you to get my book that's going to come out soon, The Autonomous Warrior's Mentality, Your Paramount Manual for greatness and success. But this book right here, this Brian Blum's book, it's a really good book on contract law. Really interesting um, concepts and um, things in this book. Um, but I, you know, I was reading something about, you know, the signature the other day that, no, it's right here on third edition, um, page 308. It says, a signature is any mark or symbol so understand that. Your signature don't have to be written in script. It says a signature is any mark or symbol placed by the party on the paper with the intent of authenticating that. So when they send you something online and they tell you to put an X in the box, that's your signature. But you go on and argue, oh, where's the way a signature? Understand what thy read is, King. So, so a full and formal signature is not needed. Initial, a logo, or even an X is enough, is enough. This is on page 308. Uh, I got the third edition here, Brian Blunt's Contracts, examples, and explanation. They got examples in here. So they don't need your signature. You understand? All they need is an X. All they need is your um, emblem. All they need is your logo. All they need is your initial when they got you, baby. They don't need your signature. This is contract law. This is why I tell you to understand the contract. Contract, contract, contract. Signed to include any symbol executed or adopted by a party with present intentions to authenticate a writing. So any kind of symbol that you're using to authenticate a writing can be deemed your signature. Oh, you can't write. You don't know how to write. That's good enough. Just put a check here. That's your signature. Understand that. Understand that. On page um, 309, um, contracts example and explanation, um, it says under this, under these statutes, as under Article 2 and common law, a symbol signifying a person's um, assent to the transitions must be executed or adopted by the person or his authorized agents with the intent to authenticate the record. So as long as there is an intent to authenticate the record, you can put a check mark, you could put your um, emblem, your logo or whatever. If there's an intent, let's say someone say, well, I'm um, like the Prophet Muhammad, he's illiterate, couldn't read. 
Well, okay, just check here. See, they just want an intent that you are actually acknowledging this. And so then they have you. They have you. So it's talking about third inquiries. Um, if statutes applies and is not complied with, does the old contract fall within any of its exceptions? And so when I go to page 310 in the third edition of Brian Blum's here, it says circumstances following contracts um, formations provide evidence that a contract has indeed made so that it is uh, unduly technical to insist the complaint with the um, statute. So the protection of the entrance of a party who suffered a um, determined and justifiable defiance in the oral contract. So um, contracts could be written, they could be implied, or they could be oral. They could be expressed. Don't necessarily need your signature. This is why you have to understand contract law. Because in this system, contract is law. Contract is law and law is contract. I mean, there's some good stuff in this book and there's a lot of examples that explain what's going on. But you gotta understand offer and acceptance because if you send something to someone and they keep it, that forms a binding contract. That's acceptance. Acceptance forms a binding contract. Do you understand? Do you understand? So they don't need your signature. This is why when they send you stuff online, um, just tell you to put an X in the box. Just put an X in the box. That's all we need. Because it's the intent. It's the intent. So when you go in court and say, oh, well, knowing thus what Brian Blum just said, um, when you go in court and say, produce my wet ink signature, and he brings out something where you check, is that a sufficient argument? I contend that it is. Can you win with that? I contend that you can if you understand offering acceptance because he needs to produce my original wet ink signature. Even if it's a check mark, you need to produce, produce the original. It should not be a carbon copy. A, a certified copy is not the original. Right, we have a um, certified copy right here. How people don't listen. He just said he had a certified copy. No, you want the original. You want the original for educational purposes only. If it's not the original, no, that's, uh, someone could have like doctored that. I don't know what that is. That's not my original uh, wet ink signature with my fingerprints all over the page. If you can't bring me that, I don't know who did that. Someone could have forged that. Understand? Do you understand? So with that, brothers and sisters, are going to be um, bringing this to an end. I've been talking for over an hour, gave you a lot of valuable information in regards to the IRS and some help with dealing with self, dealing with the internal you. Because if you can, you know, change others, then that's good. That's great. But it's power when you're disciplined enough to change yourself, to change your thinking. And that's what you wanna th that's what you wanna shoot for. You wanna change your thinking. You wanna change you and that requires discipline. No matter where you are right now, no matter what you're doing right now, you have the potential to be great. You are great because God, the most high Yahweh, instilled 
greatness in you. You just gotta be disciplined to bring it out. You just gotta be able to bring it out of yourself. You have greatness in you. You gotta believe in you. Stop listening to the cynical um, debtors. Stop listening to the naysayers and believe in you. There's greatness within you. So with that, I'm gonna thank everyone for listening. Um, share the video, like the video. There's someone that need this information that was actually put out. Um, don't harbor the information, trying to share the information, share the video, give other people the opportunity to learn. And together we could change the world because check this out. If what you just learned right here today, if you talk to 10 people, if you just share this with 10 people and each 10 of those people share it with 10 other people, how many people have we affected? You understand? Power is in the numbers. So the more that we share this information, the more it's gonna grow throughout the earth. Then people like Tazadop won't seem so damn weird anymore. People like Tazadop won't seem so um, deranged and strange anymore. Because in the land of the insane, the same is deemed insane. So, but if you wanna get out of this thing, guess what? You're going to help to suffer. You're gonna to have to suffer. If you wanna be great, you got to suffer. You got to suffer, brothers and sisters. Nowhere around it. You're going to have to suffer. You're gonna to have to go through struggle. And if you back away from struggling, then you're gonna abort the path to greatness. So with that, I'm gonna say Shalom, Kwame Asha'Allah, peace. Two fingers, tell the doctors out. Hey, I love you all, stay strong, be totally undaunted. Don't fear nothing because the Most High has not given us the spirit of fear because on the other side of your fear is greatness. Go and get it. What are you waiting for? On the other side of your fear is greatness. Your fear, you just gotta get over that wall of fear. That's it, there's greatness waiting for you. Go and get it. Shalom.